the book of the Acts of the Apostles, part 8. In our last meeting, we began another mini-series, Understanding the Acts of the Apostles. Our focus through this mini-series is to bring us to a comprehension and appreciation of what, how, and why the apostles of old acted as they did, with a view to providing those of us who are the apostles of today with valuable lessons that we can learn from and follow suit. We define acts as the actions, activities, deeds, including working of miracles, and ministry, while we describe an apostle as someone who has been called, chosen, sanctified, and sent out by the Lord Jesus Christ to do the work of God. Thus, our goal is to comprehend and appreciate what kind of actions, activities, deeds, and ministry is acceptable before God for those of us who have been called chosen, sanctified, and sent by the Lord to engage in how we are to go about such acts and what is involved in engaging therein. To this end, we began to look at the first of four considerations that would help us understand the Acts of the Apostles. Continuity. Our study of the book of the Acts of the Apostles must indeed enable us to see what the Apostles of old did and how they went about it and to continue from there. Like the apostles of old, we have been called, chosen, sanctified, and sent out by the Lord to continue both to do and teach what he, the Lord, began both to do and teach, as documented in the Gospels. To be engaged in anything else is to be engaged in something other than the acts of the apostles. As disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, in this present age, we must faithfully continue from where the early church and the church since then have left off. Like a link in a chain, this generation must link up with the appropriate chain of God's work through the ages and maintain the integrity of that chain, the work of God for all ages. We, therefore, cannot claim to be continuing in the work of God if we are not continuing in the steps of the apostles of old as is written in the word of God, particularly the book of the Acts of the Apostles. We must thus be prepared for the kind of treatment the apostles of old received in their day. Persecution, derision, abuse, and so on. We must perform miracles for the right reasons to demonstrate the glory and goodness of God to a dying world. We must teach the truth that is in God's word. And we must, as stewards of God, care for the flock of God and not act as overlords or owners of the flock. We now go to our scripture text for today. Acts chapter 1, verse 1 and verse 2. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. We now proceed to the next consideration that will help us understand the actions, activities, deeds, and ministry of the apostles, so that we can effectively continue from where those who had gone before us and who offered acceptable services unto God left off. This next consideration will enable us to see how the Lord Jesus continues to do his work through us today and for generations to come, and thus maintain the standard that is acceptable and pleasing to God. While the Lord Jesus was here on earth, 
before his crucifixion. He communicated directly with his disciples and gave them necessary instructions that we have seen through our scriptures, especially the gospels, how we give them instructions. See that in Matthew chapter 10 when he sent them out two by two and the instructions that he gave them. But after his resurrection, his communication with his disciples was no longer direct. It was now through the Holy Spirit and has been since. But before we delve into the Holy Spirit's role in the work of God, let us take very careful note that the Lord communicated, like we read in Acts chapter 1 verse 2, instructions, not suggestions, and commandments, not matters for debate and deliberation. We cannot emphasize this enough. The word of God is not a suggestion that requires your input. It is a command, not something that we are to sit down in a circle and debate and argue over. Thus, every disciple of Jesus Christ receives instructions and commandments which must be carried out, not thought over with a view to contributing our own impute. Neither is it to be made a subject for debate and deliberation within ourselves or with others. Sometimes when we call it the word of God, the import or the, the, the impact of it as an instruction is lost. We just said the word of God. God said, and we fail to realize that it is a command. It's not, it's not a, something that we debate, we sit down and say, so what really was God talking about here? He gave an instruction. He gave a command. Going into all the world is not a, it's not a suggestion. He's not saying, I feel if you go into the world, your life will be better. No, he gave an instruction. He gave a commandment. It was a direct thing. He did not try to shroud it in asking for their input. No. Go ye into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It is an instruction to be carried out. A command. No excuse. Except, of course, you are not a child of God. That will not be our portion in Jesus' name. That, that we will hear ourselves being asked the question, what did you do with the instruction I gave you? What did you do with the command I gave you? Sometimes we think it is the pastor that we are dealing with. We are dealing with the God who sees what no man can see. The pastor may keep quiet, but God sees. So this evening we want to look as quickly as we can at understanding the acts of the apostles' connectivity. Last week we looked at continuity. Today we want to look at connectivity. The Holy Spirit is our link, our connection. He is the connector between the resurrected Christ and those he, that is Christ, sends to do the work of God. Hence, if we are to maintain the integrity of the chain of God's work, which we discussed last week, the connectivity of the link between the Lord and his missionaries, those, that, 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 those are what apostles really are, those called, chosen, sanctified and sent, must be the Holy Spirit. That must be the link. The link is not the pastor. The link is not your church denomination. The link between you and the Lord that has sent you to do the work is the Holy Spirit. He it is who must be the go-between between those sent and the Lord who sent them. Not a man. The Holy Spirit is to be the, the go-between between those whom he has called, chosen, sanctified, and sent. And the Lord of the work. Don't think it is the pastor sending you. It's not the pastor sending you. The pastor himself is receiving an instruction and passing it on to you. You are, you are going to be held accountable for the words that you heard 
whether you did something with them or not. We're going to spend quite some time this evening looking at the place of the Holy Spirit as our connector, as our link with heaven. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 and 2, or verse 1 to 3, Genesis chapter 1 from verse 1 through to verse 3, the Bible says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. In the beginning, even when God was going to create the heavens and the earth, He did not do it without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was the agent responsible for, for, for causing the work of recreation. Actually, this is what the work of recreation, Satan had messed it up. That's why the earth was without form, was void, and there was darkness all over the face of the deep. But thank God the Holy Spirit was present. So by the time the word of God went forth and said, let there be light, the Spirit of God was there to make light to happen. He is the link. Even in the life of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, we all know, is God. But when he came on the earth, he became man and still retained his divinity as God. However, the Holy Spirit was instrumental in every aspect of his life here on the earth. In Luke chapter 1 verse 35, Luke chapter 1 verse 35, the, 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 the angel, when was explaining to Mary, said to her, This Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. The Holy Spirit was instrumental in what is called the Immaculate Conception. In the bringing forth of the Lord Jesus Christ in bodily form. By the time you get to Luke chapter 3, you will find him introducing, being involved in the introduction of Jesus into ministry. The Lord Jesus did not move one bit in terms of ministry until... The Holy Spirit came upon him. Luke chapter 3, 21 and 22. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved son. In you I am well pleased. We find the Holy Spirit coming upon the Lord Jesus Christ at his baptism to introduce him as it were into the ministry. And we find in chapter 4 of Luke, verse 1, the Bible says, Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted, of course. And we know he was there for 40 days being tempted. His temptation was arranged by the Spirit of God. By the time you get to verse 18 and 19 of the same uh, Luke chapter 4, the Bible says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. In fact, that's what the Lord was reading. And you know that he later said that this day is this scripture fulfilled in your hearing. So he was speaking really about himself. That the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. The Spirit of God was, was anointed with the Spirit of God. The Lord just was anointed with the Spirit of God to be able to preach the gospel to the poor. How much more you and I? He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. The Lord Jesus' ministry was arranged or, or we had the Holy Spirit involved in that ministry. Actively involved. He was never, he was not a, a, a passive 
what do you call that? Spectator. No, he was actively involved. In, in, in Acts chapter 10 verse 38, the Bible says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with his, his, his mission on earth. He needed the Holy Spirit. In Hebrews chapter 9 verse 14, Hebrews chapter 9 verse 14, the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ gave up himself as a sacrifice or an offering to God through the eternal spirit. Even when he came to going to the cross, he needed the Holy Spirit to help him there, to take him there, to offer himself as a, a chaste, a pure virgin, as it were, unto God, on account of the sins of mankind. Finally, in, in, in Romans, I'm just doing a, 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 a quick review, as it were, of the, the importance of the Holy Spirit, which many of us seem to have lost touch with. In Romans chapter 1, verse 4, it says, And this Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. Christ was raised from the dead by the Spirit. Thus declaring him by that same spirit to be the son of God. Beloved, if we are going to do anything that is worth doing at all in the kingdom of God, it has to be by the spirit of God. Talking about the Lord Jesus communicating instructions to his apostles by the spirit after he resurrected. We will read, we will look at two, of, two, two examples in Acts chapter 9, 3 to 17, and Acts chapter 10, 9 to 21. These are rather lengthy passages, but I'll just, I'll, I'll just tell the story. The first one, Acts 9, 3 to 17, is about the conversion of Saul. How Saul heard a voice calling him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you? And he said, I am, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is that for you to kick against the goads. And then the Lord Jesus appeared to, what's his name now? Ananias. And told Ananias, to go to Saul that he was praying and that he should um, uh, lay his hands on his head that his eyes would be opened and be baptized in the Holy Spirit. The real issue is, remember what we said in verse 2. How was Christ communicating with his apostles after he resurrected? Through the Holy Spirit. So, who was actually communicating with Saul in Acts chapter 9? It was Jesus Christ, alright, but through the Holy Spirit. If you go to chapter 10, the next chapter, from verse 9 to 21, this was when Cornelius, uh, the division that Peter had after Cornelius had dispatched people to come and meet, uh, to come and call Peter. Peter gave the account of how he was up, you know, in, um, what's it called now, um, on the rooftop. And he saw this vision of all manner of uh, creeping things, unclean things being brought down by a sheet and saying to him, rise up Peter, kill and it. If you, if, you, if you have a Bible in red letters, you will see that the rise of Peter, kill and it is put in what? Red letters. Even what God has cleansed, you must not call common, is also put in red letters. Who was speaking there? It was the Lord Jesus. But in reality, who was really communicating with Peter? The Holy Spirit. Because if you go further down in verse 17 and um, 17 to 19, it says, now while Peter wondered within himself, what this vision which he had seen meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. 
And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. Look at verse 19. While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. We must understand that the medium for communication today is the Holy Spirit. Even when you read the Word of God, when you are reading the Bible, and the Word of God is speaking to you, is the Holy Spirit quickening something in your spirit man, speaking to you. In Matthew chapter 10, the Lord himself said something to us concerning um, when, when, we are, when we are arrested and what should be our approach. Matthew chapter 10, from verse 18 to verse 20. Matthew chapter 10, from 18 to 20. It says, you will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak. For it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. Look at verse 20, which corroborates what mommy said about when she went to that wedding and prayed. In verse 20 it says, For it is not you who speak, but what? The spirit of your father who speaks in you. Even your own speech is by the spirit of God. If you are linked with Christ. He is that connector, making the connectivity. He is not, he is not a passive person just looking at you, doing as you are doing. No, he is actively involved in the work of God. And you are going to see how the Lord Jesus began to introduce the Holy Spirit to his disciples and by that token also to us. After the, after the, the Last Supper, he, he, had some, he had a discourse with his disciples, the apostles who were present. And he began to introduce the Holy Spirit to them. Not as a passive being, but as one who is actively to be engaged and involved not only in their lives, but through their lives in the work of God committed to their hands. Now, let me, let me, let me say this, and I pray that it sinks deep in you. The work of God is not acceptable to God if the Holy Spirit is not engaged in that work. So all that thing that we're talking about, developing the divine nature, this is, where it, this is where it comes to. You are developing the divine nature so that the Holy Spirit can indwell you. And by so doing, you have the Trinity in you, as it were. And then, because you now have the divine nature, you are able to yield and obey the directions of the Holy Spirit. Thus is the Spirit of God doing the work of God through you. Do you understand that? So, we cannot jump up and say, I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to start this foundation. I want to, I want to open a football club called Jesus Football Club for All Nations. And use that football club to evangelize. And you can't wake up and do that. It must come through whom? The Holy Spirit. Heaven must say, tell so, so, and so that we are going to start a football club. Do you understand? It's not you will start. We are going to start a football club. All you are doing is you, are, you have become the hands. Let me explain, give you another illustration. If I want to carry overseas, they do that because of the kind of laws that they have. You cannot carry anything with your bare hands if you are a service personnel. You must wear gloves. So when the service personnel is, is carrying things, what is he carrying those things with? His gloves. Who is doing the carrying? The gloves or the service personnel? The service personnel. But he's wearing gloves. Now, should the gloves be excited and say, Ah, I carry that thing. No. Okay, let's remove the gloves and tell the gloves to go and carry the thing. Can he carry it? He cannot. So all those miracles that is, that, that's going on, it is God 
doing it through us. We are the gloves. Remove the gloves. I go and do the miracle now. You can't. So you find a lot of us, a lot of people rather, who get involved in ministry, not understanding the place and the role of the, of, of the Holy Spirit for that work. What do they do? First and foremost, they call themselves to the work. So they have to go and look for a spirit to direct them, but not the Holy Spirit. So you find them going to herbalists, going everywhere to bring all kinds of say, share his miracle they want. Give them the miracle. Do you think God just does miracles? There's a reason why God does miracles. He doesn't just do it for, for, for the fun of doing it. He wants to reveal his glory to mankind. He wants to show a dying world the things that he can do in our lives if we yield to him. He wants through us to show forth the goodness of God. In fact, sometimes some of these miracles are there to let us know that if we make it to the end, it doesn't matter what situation was in your body, you are going to be completely whole. If a man died of cancer, who is a believer? If you had the opportunity of seeing him in heaven, he doesn't have any of the features of that cancer whatsoever. By the time his body is given back to him at the resurrection, there will be not one trace of cancer in that body. Because it will be a fresh body, cleansed completely, made whole. So in John chapter 14 verse 18, the Lord Jesus said, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. In verse 22, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Let's read it to 26. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Please, who will the Lord Jesus come to? I'm asking a question. The person that obeys him. Because the way we know who, obey, who, who, who loves God is when you keep his word. As long as you are obedient to God, he is coming to stay with you. But the moment you are living a life of disobedience, you are, you are already separating yourself from God. Verse 24. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine by the fathers who sent me. Put 24 and 23 together. What do you have there? If a person does not keep the word of God, can you find Christ and the Father come to him? No. So we cannot be living contrary to God and be boasting that God is there. Verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. Remember we said while he was with them, before the crucifixion and resurrection, he spoke to them how? Directly. Yeah, he's telling them. In verse 26 says, But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. The Holy Spirit has a role that he's playing in our lives. That role involves taking things from the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ and revealing it to you and I. Expounding the scriptures to us. Telling us what the Lord Jesus meant when he was teaching these things and that thing and that thing and so on and so forth. So, in doing the work of continuity in teaching the word of God, the Holy Spirit has to be there to teach us the things that we ought to teach people. You cannot go it on your own. In verse 16, uh, sorry, in chapter 16 of the same John from verse 12, excuse me, from verse 12 to 15, he said, I still have, this is Lord Jesus speaking, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. There are times you are reading the Bible. There are many things God wants to show you, but you cannot bear those things now, so your eyes gloss over it. 
The Lord Jesus does not, and the Holy Spirit does not pin you down to a particular verse. Because you are not able to bear that verse at that time. So I said, I have many things to tell you. You cannot bear it right now. You are unable to understand it. There is no way you are going to explain to a three or four year old how women get pregnant and give birth to a child. You can, he can never understand, even if you tell him. So he's not able to bear it at that time. But a time will come when he will reach an age that when you say it to him, he understands it. Do you understand that? So in the same way, you and I know certain things now. But some years ago, we didn't know them. And there are some things that we read the scriptures, the same scriptures we still are reading today. We don't understand it. Some years to come, as we mature in God, in God, the Holy Spirit will now reveal it to us. Praise the name of the Lord. As we conduct ourselves in obedience, total obedience to God, we find increase of the Spirit of God in our lives, upon us, which we call the anointing. The anointing is a rubbing. To anoint is to rub something. I'm sure those of you who know about cats, you know that if you go near, or if a cat, if you're in a house and a cat comes, what does, what does that cat do? He rubs all over your cloth. By the time the cat leaves, what happens to your trouser or your skirt? You see the, the hair of the cat all over, your, all over your dress. That is how it is. As we interact with the Holy Spirit, what is happening? He is rubbing on us. Do you understand? So this presence of the Spirit of God is in us. But when we act contrary to the Word of God, we cannot rub off on the Spirit. Do you understand? We are detached from Him. And so there can be no manifestation of the Spirit in our lives. Spiritual gifts were, was described as the, the manifestation of the Spirit. When you are living contrary to the Word of God, there can be no manifestation of the Spirit. And so we find many people not being able to manifest the Spirit because they are living contrary to the Word of God, going about looking for power to demonstrate some power. And it's not from God. It's lying wonders. And we now have a problem in the body of Christ. So he says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into what? All truth. Not some. All truth. However, at your level, there will be truth. But it's for your level. As you mature in God, you will get more truth on the same subject. But it is all truth for you. Do you understand that? Even what is being shared with you now, some of you may not be able to comprehend it at this stage. But some years from now, you will have full understanding. Say, okay, this is what was being said at this time. But we say it and keep it in storage until such a time that the Spirit of God will come and open and say, this was what you were being taught five years ago. He will not speak on his own. The Holy Spirit is saying to you what Christ said. That's why, we, that's why we mentioned in Acts 9 and 10. That it was the Spirit of God speaking, making those, uh, speaking those things. But it was from what Christ was saying. He will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. Now, imagine the Spirit of God telling you what he has heard. From heaven. And you disregard what he has heard. And go ahead and do your own thing. That's why the Lord Jesus said. A sin against the father and the son. Can easily be forgiven. But not this. Because the spirit of God did not come on his own. His own. He, he came in the power and the authority of the father and of the son. And you are disdaining that authority. And they are not going to take it lightly. They are not going to take it lightly. At all. Verse 14. He will glorify me. That is Christ. He will take of what is mine. And declare it to you. I want us to know this is because next week 
we are going to discuss something that will need this. But we will, we will not put it as the scriptures. It is what the Holy Spirit is going to do. He will glorify Christ. He is not coming to glorify a man. You must understand that. So when we see men putting billboards and glorifying themselves and doing all kinds of things, I ask a question. Who is that connectivity? Is it the Holy Spirit? It cannot be. Something else is connecting him to somewhere else, but not to heaven. Christ did not even do that. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. Everything that the Spirit of God is declaring to us is what the Lord Jesus Christ is saying. Our mind is too finite to understand an infinite God. So we just have to take it as it is. That whatever we are hearing is from Christ. But understand one thing about the Trinity. They never walk at cross purposes. They don't, they don't go against themselves. If one has spoken, all the others have spoken. So we don't have personality clash. We don't have it. Now, if the church, therefore, must be the church of God, then it must speak the same thing that Christ, the Father, and the Holy Spirit is speaking. The minute we speak something different, we cannot be the church of God. No matter how much sense it makes. This issue of connectivity is very critical. It's a crucial consideration. If, there, if we don't have the right connectivity, it is not the acts of the apostles. It's the act of some other spirit. In verse 15 it says, All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. Have you seen what the Lord Jesus is saying here? What, what the Lord Jesus is saying? Who is saying it now? The Father. What the Holy Spirit is saying? Who, who, who said it first? The Father. They don't, there is no competition. We are the ones who are competing and say, who said it? Who said it? Who is, it? is it the pastor? Is it the deacon? Is it? We are the ones who are saying those things. If God has spoken, then God has spoken. Do you understand that? That is why we must all come to our meetings. We are, we are getting into a hot part where we must all come to our meetings hearing from God. Lord, is there a word for the body today? And share it. We want to hear what God is saying. We would like to know what the Lord is saying. So quite frankly, if a church in quotes now, that's what it has to be, should say, we don't believe in the Holy Spirit. Who is speaking? Who is it that is speaking in that church? It cannot be the Holy Spirit. It cannot be Jesus. Jesus is not there. You cannot say you are a church and you don't believe that there is a Holy Spirit. In fact, we, 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 let us rush there. Acts chapter 19. When Paul went to Ephesus, he, he saw some disciples there. Look at verse 2 of Acts 19. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Pause. We did an extensive study on this. When we were looking at the Holy Spirit some years back. How many of us, remember, how many of us remember that? When, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? This was so critical to the apostles in those days. It was a major issue. These were people who called themselves disciples. So he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed in Christ? What did they say? We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. So definitely, whatever church they were organizing had nothing to do with God. Do you understand? Their cell meeting, their fellowship meeting, their gathering, their love feast, and so on and so forth, of all the things they, had, they, were, they were gathering to do, did not have Christ involved. They did not know the Holy Spirit. And so, we find that Paul had to go on to the point of explaining to them, because their own understanding was it, that it was about John the Baptist. Said no, 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 no. John came to preach repentance. We are speaking of this one that John also spoke about. That there is one who I am not able to. I'm, I'm not. I'm not worthy to losing the latchet of his of his sandals. He's the one. That is the Jesus we are talking about here. 
And the Bible says, and when they believed, what happened? He, he, he prayed for them. And they received the Holy, he laid hands on them. The Holy Spirit came upon them. And they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now they are ready for work. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the Lord Jesus said to them, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You shall receive power. A lot of people say this word is the word dunamis, which is ability. The, the, the ability to do the miraculous. But much more than that, there is no need having ability without authority. The language, we don't really understand it. So we cannot but, you know, use our own small understanding in terms of language. But as the Holy Spirit reveals things to us, we know more than ability, there's authority here. You will have the authority and the ability to be a witness for Christ. There's nobody here who was born when Christ was crucified. But when the Spirit of God comes upon you, you will be able to be a witness. Who is a witness? A witness is somebody who tells what he has seen. What he has experienced, that's what a witness is. The Holy Spirit in you gives you the enablement to be a witness with boldness. When we, the, the, the question then is, if there is that connection between you and heaven, why is evangelism a problem? Why is it a problem? Do you, you expect someone to take a, a stick and be beaten on your head? Maybe, maybe you don't understand what the Spirit of God has been saying to you all this time. But whilst the Lord, let's, let's look at this in context now of what some other things I want to say about the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the acts in the life of the, in the in the acts of the apostles in the early church it says you shall receive power when the spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth now in Luke chapter 24 we are not going there he had told them tarry ye where in Jerusalem, until ye be endued with in other words don't do anything the truth of the matter is that you cannot do acceptable work to god Without the Holy Spirit. Whatever, if you like, preach from now to tomorrow. The Holy Spirit, if it's not there, it's not accepted. Anybody, I've said this before, any fool can preach a sermon. Anybody can write anything and say he's preaching a sermon. It is the Holy Spirit that gives that sermon the power. There are people who have the, 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 a, a voice that is loud by nature. There are people who have a voice that is quiet by nature. When the Holy Spirit is in both of them, the both messages are effective. A man who is speaking softly with the Holy Spirit is power. But a man who has a loud voice and there is no Holy Spirit is just making noise. It is the Holy Spirit that is the key. He is the real connection. Now, having understood this, let's read from verse 15 and we will see certain things. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples altogether. The number of names was about 120 and said, Men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled. Maybe he was reading the Bible, right? And came across that scripture. Which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. So far, so good. For he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. He was receiving that understanding. Beautiful. Now this man purchased the field with the wages of iniquity. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his entrails gushed out. Here is just a parenthesis talking about what happened to Judas Iscariot. And it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem so that, so that field is called in their own language Akeldema, that is field of blood. Now, Peter continues. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling place be desolate and let no one live in it and let another take his office. Fantastic is the word of God. Verse 21. Therefore, 
of these men. Who chose the men? Listen now. Therefore of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. Have you seen the criteria that he's building now? Of all these men, let's look for those who were with us from the time Jesus came till the time he left. Beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And they proposed, and they proposed to Joseph called Basabas, who was surnamed Justus and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen. Please, who chose the two? They chose the two and presented the two to God. Why did they not say to God, of all these people, who do you want to be number 12? They didn't do that. They first of all cast lots and chose two. They, they brought out their own criteria. Chose two from there and now presented the two to God and said, choose one of the two. Like what we all do. I want to do this business. I want to do this. Lord, which of these two should I do? You didn't ask what I should do. You have chosen. A young man wants to get married. He sees uh, Sister Beatrice and sees Sister Wanneka and says to the Lord, Lord, which of these two? Who told you that it's Beatrice or Wanneka in the first place? Do you understand? This is what we have been doing. So they did that. In verse 25, to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. Now look at verse 26. Who chose for them? No. Who chose for them? What did he say? And they did what? Cast their lots. They voted. Democracy is not of God. If you bring two people to God and say, choose one, he will choose one. But whether he's going to use them is a different matter. And they cast their lots. And the lot fell on Matthias. And he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Full stop. You never heard Matthias again. This was the last time we heard of Matthias. Not one more time. However, I believe very strongly that the twelfth apostle, the one to take the place of Judas, was yet to come. He was not among those who saw Christ from the baptism to the, to the, to the ascension. He, he, he didn't fit into the criteria they had chosen. Many of us are choosing criteria. He must go to a Bible school. He must be baptized in our church. He must be this before we are doing it. He is not even the person. The person may not even be near your church for one day. And what happened there? We saw how Saul of Tarsus was arrested on the, road, on, the way, on the way to Damascus. And he later became the chief apostle to the Gentiles. Who knows, maybe that was the role Judas was to play. But I don't think so. Because the Bible makes, us, makes it clear to us that Christ chose him for the purpose of the betrayer. They knew what was in his heart. He's the only one who would love money so much and go and agree to betray the Lord. It was this, this same mistake was made by Samuel in 1 Samuel 16, 1-13. How God had told Samuel to fill his horn and go to the house of uh, Jesse and appoint a king. Saul, so, uh, Samuel said, ah, if Saul catches me now, he will kill me. What should I do? He said, don't worry. Just go tell them that you have come to give a sacrifice. So when Samuel got there, he said everybody should consecrate themselves and come for the sacrifice. And he specifically consecrated all the sons of uh, Jesse. And they went for the sacrifice. Have you seen how we make mistakes with our own criteria? They had been consecrated, Abby. They came for the sacrifice. Is that not so? Then, when he saw Eliab, he said, ah, this definitely is, is, is the one. He's just as tall as, as uh, Saul. A perfect replacement. God said, you better remove your eye from that one. I didn't choose him. He is not the one. God does not look the way men, men look on the outward. God looks at the heart. I have rejected this one. Six other children passed. 
And each one of them, he said, I have rejected this one seven times. I'm sure Saul was almost getting frustrated and said, ah, uh, Samuel rather, was almost getting frustrated and said, ah, Mr. Jesse, do you have another child? He said, yes. That's a small boy. One small boy is the one taking care of the sheep. When there are important things to be done, we don't involve him. He says he's too small to understand anything. We send him out. He's the one that we normally send on messages. He said, well, God didn't choose any of these ones. We're not sitting down until that one is brought here. Go and bring him. And they went and brought David. And as David entered, a small, he was a, he was a small boy with a ruddy countenance. A boyish face. Was it a boy? He didn't know anything. God said to Samuel, arise up. Anoint him. That is him. Who would have thought that that would be the person? If you don't allow the Spirit of God to do the work he's supposed to do in your life and through your life, you will make mistakes in the ministry. In whatever it is you are doing, you will make big mistakes. He is the connector. He is the link between heaven and us. He knows the mind of God. He knows what God's plans are for you and I. He knows who you are to marry. Who will help you in the ministry. Or let me not use the word ministry because it seems like a very big word. Who will help you to do, to accomplish the work of God here on earth? But many of us have packed him aside. And we are going about doing our own thing. When you see all kinds of churches, you need to ask yourself some questions. Am I supposed to start a church? The people will tell you what to do. Remember when, we, when the Lord told us that we are to go to the United States? That's the question. I said, Lord, there are already many churches there. What, have we, what am I going to do there again? God said, no, you are, going to, you are going to reach out to the people of the land. It was a specific instruction. The church that we plant, planted there, not the only Nigerians that were in that church was my wife and myself. Every other person there, they were Igbo. They were uh, Americans, not Igbo, Igbo. But they, were, they were people of that land. To the point that one of my Nigerian pastor friends had to ask me, do you drive Nigerians away? I said, I didn't drive anybody away. They, a few of them come, but they go away. Because I wasn't called to them. They were not called to that place. They can't be comfortable there. We need to understand these things. That without the Holy Spirit, everything we are doing is wasted. It's a waste. With Him, when it seems like it's wasted, it is powerful. By the time Christ, uh, the Lord Jesus went to the cross, how many disciples was around Him? Not one. Otherwise, at least one of them would have been there to carry the cross. They had to pick uh, the, the Cyrenian to, to, to help Him to carry the cross. Not one was around but did it mean that the, 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 his whole work had ended? No. They were to be gathered again and they came back. Because of the Holy Spirit who was involved in that work from start to finish. When you do things in your own power, you will struggle with it and struggle with it and struggle. Even if you call it success in your own language. Let's say it has succeeded. You have been able to do all kinds of drug matters and the place is full to the place to point of choking. You will suddenly discover that there is no satisfaction in your life. No fulfillment. You are frustrated. You are empty. And nothing is happening. Because God is not there. But you will minister to a church of four or five. And it's as if you minister to a church of one thousand. Why? Because you are doing the work of God. Because the Spirit of God is the one who put that thing in place. And seen to it that it's working. John chapter 16. From verse 7 through to 11. This is the Lord Jesus speaking. Verse 8 is really where we want to focus on. But we'll read the other verses for context. Nevertheless I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away. The helper will not come to you. But if I depart. I will send him to you. Look at verse 8. And when he has come. He will convict the world of sin. And of righteousness and of judgment. Who convicts the world of sin. Of righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit. If you like, prepare the best sermon in this world. 
if the Spirit of God did not, was not involved in that thing, did not tell you to pray that sermon, there will be no conviction. Nine to the says of, of, he will convict of sin because they do not believe in me. He will convict of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. He will convict of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Let me just try and explain this, this issue of conviction to us. I think the King James, the uh, Amplified has convict and convince, which is basically what it is. If a man is arrested, let's say for stealing, and he goes to court, they take him to court and say he has been charged with stealing. By the time they bring all the evidence before him, the judge, the judge will look at the evidence and say, this man is really guilty of stealing. So the, he has been convicted of the crime of stealing, right? But that man may say, no, I didn't steal it. I didn't know it belonged to anybody. I just took it. He is convicted, but he's not convinced. Have you seen the, the difference now? What the Holy Spirit comes to do is not just to tell you that God will judge you because you are a sinner. He now convinces you that you are indeed a sinner and you will accept. It is that convincing you that you are a sinner that brings you to repent of sin. Do you understand? It's not how beautifully I quote you can preach a beautiful message, nobody will listen to you. They are not convinced. But the day of conviction, when that convincing will come, the Holy Spirit is the one who will do it. And suddenly they will come to realize that, if I don't have Christ in my life, I'm finished. You'll be wondering, how did they know these things? It's because the Holy Spirit has been doing His work in their lives. In Acts chapter 2, these scriptures, we, we know them and we are going to come to them later. So, sometimes I will read them, sometimes I'll just, I'll just mention them. When the day, from verse 1 to 4 and following, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came, note, they were all in, with one accord in one place. So, they, they were united. Is that not so? They were in agreement. Is that not so? But that was not the church. Do you know that? They were in one place, with one mind, with one purpose. But something was missing. And so it wasn't the church. It was just a group of people, like, they, like you have in the National Assembly, say, like minds. They are a group of people with like minds. That's all they were. Having a meeting. Like minds. But they were not yet a church. Verse 2. And suddenly, there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house, where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Thus the church was born. You know, from, this, from what we've read now, we can tell you what the church of God is. The church of God is everybody who is in, a, in accord, in the same accord, not only with one another, but also with Christ. Who has the same mind as the mind of Christ. And upon whom the Spirit of God has fallen. All those people put together, that's the church. Not the building, that's the church. From that time on, the church was formed. And we know what happened. When people started saying, ah, who are these people who are drunk at this time? What kind of thing? In fact, you know, one of the reasons why the Lord Jesus told them is the, if the afterthought that tells us, to, that makes us understand why Christ told them, remain in Jerusalem. At that time, the disciples were being hunted after they had killed Christ. They were looking for them. I said, stay in that Jerusalem. Even though they are looking for you, stay there. Until you are endued with power from on high. The Lord Jesus knew that after the Passover, normally people will gather from all over the world. Jews will gather from all over, even proselytes. That's people who are not Jews by birth, but who decided to follow Judaism. They all gather in Jerusalem from the Passover, that time of Passover, till 
after Pentecost, which is the first, the, what they call it, the harvest of the first fruits. They all remain there. They don't go back home. They stay until after that 50 days and wait there. The Lord knew everybody would be there. So on the day of Pentecost, they were all in Jerusalem. When these people began to speak in tongues in the upper room. And people from all over the world, the then known world, they were, they were amazed to see Galileans speaking Arabic, speaking Pythian, speaking all kinds of languages. If, 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 the, if the Igbo man was there, they would hear Igbo. If the Yoruba man was there, they would hear Yoruba. If the Hausa man was there, they would hear Hausa clean. They said, who are these people? We are hearing them speak the wonderful words of God in our own language. The witness had gone forth that God was doing a new thing. And they were all gathered in Jerusalem for the festival of the first fruits as ordained by God. So God wanted them to be there. And after the, some other people now came and said, don't mind them, they are just drunkards. People are on wine and this. Peter then stood up. What was giving Peter that boldness? Without the Holy Spirit, what you have is bold face. Shakara. You make noise, make noise, make noise, make noise, make noise, make noise. After that, you will run away. This one, you will stand with boldness and preach. A, a time came when Peter was speaking. Peter said, Let's, let me speak to you freely. He was not, he was not afraid anyway. He was not, let, let, let me not speak with my mouth hidden. David, our king, our revered king, said of the word of said that God will not allow his body to see corruption. He said, but let me speak to you plainly. David has died. His grave is here. David, being a prophet, was not speaking of himself. He was speaking of Christ. Whom you killed. But God has raised him up again. That is the testimony we have come to give you. How could he be bold to make such a statement? In a Jerusalem where the word has gone round that his disciples came to steal Jesus. He wasn't even talking of the theft anymore. Say that Jesus, go and check. He's not there. He's risen. What you see us demonstrating is the promise of the Spirit. And this promise is for you and for your children. He quoted from Joel. He said, Joel said, who was allowing him to quote like that? The Spirit of God. said, upon, upon, upon my sons, upon my daughters, upon my handmaidings, upon all people, will I pour out my Spirit. With the benefit of hindsight, we know that this was the Holy Spirit speaking through Peter. Because when Peter was accosted on the matter of Cornelius' house, what did he say? He said, ah, when I heard them speaking in tongues, did Peter pray for them to receive tongues? No, he was still speaking. How God anointed Jesus with the Holy Ghost and with power. And this, he was still in the middle of that speech when the Holy Spirit fell on them. He himself said in his defense that when I heard them speaking the way we spoke, ah, I had to ask, who can forbid them to be baptized? By the way, that's another mark of those who are the church of God. They are baptized. It was the Holy Spirit that preached that sermon that day through Peter, which was why we saw 3,000 souls. Many of us now say, Peter preached, there were 3,000 souls. Another preached another time, 5,000 souls. And the church exploded. What is our own approach now? Let's buy, let's buy some things that people will like. People will come. Is that the Holy Spirit guiding the people? No. We are using all kinds of things to do the work of God. It fails. In Romans chapter... 8 verse 26. The Bible tells us that one of the things the Holy Spirit does for the believer is how? To help us to pray as we ought. I think in the course of the uh, exhortation from the various speakers, this particular aspect was mentioned. said, likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. There are many things we don't understand. We don't even know how to pray. It says, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercessions for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. While he's in us, he brings us to begin to pray. Basically, he prays through us 
carries our prayer himself to the Father. He is the connector. He is the link. Remove him. Your prayer is empty. Your prayer, remove him. Your prayer will be selfish. Will be empty. It's not going anywhere. Put him in there. You will see power. Which is why we are, ex- we are exhorted. Make sure that you are in right standing before you start praying. So that your prayer will not be hindered. Tell husbands, make sure that you, you understand your wives and you treat your wives with respect so that your prayers will not be hindered. He tells the wives, submit to your own husband. If you are doing what the Lord has told you to do, your prayer will be dead on target. The Holy helps us to pray. You go somewhere and you see somebody, you will say, you say to your yeah, lay your hands on him. You lay your hands and then you start praying. He's the, one, he's the one giving you the words which you are declaring. Then the man will jump up. Hey, hey, hey. Then what do you do? You now go and put your ugly mug on a on a banner and paste it in Patakot. The, the, the miracle walking pastor. Who are you? Where, where do these people come from? Where do we wake up from to do this kind of thing? It is the Holy Spirit doing these things through us. In Acts chapter 13, verse 1 to 4. Let me read this one. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Serene, Manaen, who, was, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. Look at verse 4. So being sent out by whom? The Holy Spirit. They went out to Seleucia and from there they sailed to Cyprus. The Holy Spirit is the sender. As I sent you, as, as the Father has sent me, so sender you. Is the Holy Spirit now sending you. Now, with what we know, who is sending us? Christ. But who does that sending? The Spirit of God. He's the, he's the link. He's the one active, doing this active work. How did the Holy Spirit speak and say, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Who can, who can answer that? Prophecy. So how did it come? It would have come through somebody. While they were there waiting on, on the Lord, somebody would have said, blah, 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 blah. Maybe one or two people would have spoken in tongues. Another person would have interpreted and said, Thus says the Spirit of God to us. Separate Barnabas and Saul. I have work for them. The early church was sweet. We're having problems in church. How do we choose people in church? The way Peter chose Matthias. He said, let's look. Who are the ministry team? He put them aside. Who are the ministry team in training? Put them aside. Okay, let's put these two people together. Um, let's, let's go and pray and ask the Lord from this group who should do this, who should do that. That's what we do. Is that not what we do? But if we ask God from the get go say, relax, they are not here. I'm bringing them. Wait. These ones still need to get to the level of the people I'm bringing. So be teaching them. Let them get to that level first. Then I'll bring the people and you will all blend together. You see the work of God blossom. So let me say to you today, you are the ones delaying the work, not, not anybody. Because you are, not, you, are not, you are refusing to receive it. And to, and to leave it out. The Holy Spirit sent Barnabas and Saul to do the work. He's the sender. He's the one sending people out to go to a particular mission field, to go to a particular place and do one work or the other. In Acts chapter 8, from verse 26 to 29, you remember Philip had gone to Samaria. You remember that? Samaria was hot. You remember that? And all kinds of things was happening there. Then, in verse 26 of Acts chapter 8, now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, Arise! Can you imagine what was going on in Samaria? The only church in Samaria. This was the man who came and preached the gospel. And the thousands came, including a sorcerer in the process. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. 
this is desert. You're asking a man to leave a prosperous ministry and to go to a desert. Who does such a thing? So he arose. By the way, when you read angel there, it could be an angel of God or it could be a messenger from God. So it could be somebody who's saying, uh, Brother Philip, thus says the Lord, go to, um, uh, what's it called now? Jerusalem Gaza Expressway. You remember that route, uh, the desert, and uh, thus says the Lord. It could be. But let's assume this one to be an angel from God. So he arose and went. You are going to see later that this was the Holy Spirit doing his work. So he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury, and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning, and sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then, what's the next line there? The Spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. Let's stop there. Look at the description they've given of this man. A eunuch. In those days, they were high officials. And these are eunuchs, when they say eunuch, they're talking about a man that has been castrated. That's what it is. And he occupied a high office. A, the, what you would call the finance minister. In, uh, the Americans would call him the secretary of the treasury. All the treasury was in his charge. A, a man of importance in Ethiopia, returning from Jerusalem, reading Isaiah the prophet. We know the rest of the story. How Philip asked him when he was reading aloud. He was reading Isaiah 53. I said, do you even know what you are reading? I said, how can I know? Who has told Does anybody told me? I'm just reading it. By the way, this Isaiah, was he writing of himself or for somebody else? The doorway was open. He said of somebody else. Is that somebody else I want to talk to you about? And they got to a place and saw small water. I'm sure that man would have heard of baptism while he was in Jerusalem. Would have heard of all the things that were happening. But, but by the time the word was spoken to him, he saw what I said. Can I be baptized? Philip said, only if you believe. Do you see Philip? He wasn't going to pass. Say, okay, 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 let me baptize. I'm happy. He said, no, no, only if you believe. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and the Savior of the world and that you are a sinner and you are repentant? He said, yes. Oh yeah, let's baptize you. But we, we just dump people and say, we are, we are baptized, we are baptized. We have not challenged it. Are you a sinner? Have you repented of your sin before the Lord? You see them between, say, uh, when I go out to meet people like that, I, I talk to them. I, which church you go? I go to some so ministers, are you born again? If the man is wasting time, I say, don't, don't try to think about it. You are not born again. Let me tell you what it is to be born again. First and foremost, it is true that God created us, but we are sinners. Nobody teaches you to tell lies. You know how to lie. It's your nature to sin. But upon every sinner, the wrath of God rests. And God, not wanting man to perish, sent his son Jesus Christ to come and die for the sins of mankind. Any man who will accept that what Christ did is to did for him, that man will be saved. But first, he must realize and recognize that he's a sinner. Are you a sinner? Do you believe it that you're a sinner? Do you recognize you're a sinner? I say, yes. Okay. Go to God in confession now. Go and repent of your sins. Take your time. I will, I, will, I will give you one or two minutes to talk to God. Then we'll now come and lead him. And even after that, you say, when I this thing, go and read so and so so and so. Give him the scriptures to read. We will, I will come and discuss with you tomorrow or next week. But no, we are too happy to fill the church. It's one of us. So we have many wet sinners. They're not baptized. They just poured water upon, upon, upon them. They're in church. Say, are you baptized? Say, I'm baptized. That was why one big church in, in, in this country insisted that whenever you're coming from any other church, you must be baptized again in that church. I didn't think that was right. But I can understand why they are saying it. The only question I ask is that, why did they arrogate to themselves the power that they are the only ones whose baptism is original? Do you understand that? Where did you get that from? That your baptism is the only baptism that is acceptable in heaven. And what the, what the other people did is not baptism. I can accept that you say, okay, it's not baptism. Fine. Teach them the right thing. Let them be baptized. I mean, I, I, I pastored the church once. The head of um, baptismal class or new believers class was teaching them 
and there were many of there are many people at the time who were believers but who had not been water baptized. I don't know why. My wife was one of them at the time. So I gathered these mature believers into a class and began to teach them. And because she was the head of baptismal class, she had to be present to note attendance and other things. We taught them and everything, and we agreed after they had been taught and they understood what they were getting themselves into. When I said, okay, we are going to do our water baptism at such and such a place. We all gathered there. Everybody came. She was there with me in the water, helping me to put them in the water and bring them out and everything. And when we finished, I held her and said, okay, let us pray. She said, no, daddy, you are going to baptize me. I said, are you not baptized? He said, I've been baptized. I didn't know what I was doing then. Now I know. I want to do it. Do you, do you see the difference now? It's the person who says, what I did then, I, I didn't do. This is the right thing. Please baptize me. And that's how I baptized her. Now that is what we're saying. It's not for me to tell you, ah, you were baptized. Ah, you were not baptized. No. It's not for me to tell you that. What I can tell you is that, brother, are you born again? He said, uh, okay, let's look at the word of God. After some time, you yourself will say, it's true, I'm not born again. Then we can start, start to talk about baptism. Do, do you understand that? Uh-huh. Praise the name of the Lord. So it is the Holy Spirit who moved Philip and told Philip where to go, who to meet. I'm sure Philip would have been wondering, who am I going to see on, on, on Jerusalem Gaza Road, that desert? But he, he went there only to see a chariot. I said, run, overtake that chariot. Unlike many of us, Father, I can't overtake that chariot without a Mercedes Benz. I need Benz. Is that what we say? To do the work of God, I need Mercedes Benz. God knew he had legs that could run and catch up with the chariot. He said, run. But no, we will ask you, go and do the work of God. Father, you know, unless that business click, I will not be able to concentrate. To do that. God said, eh, go and do the business. What else do you want God to do now? Go and do the business. In Acts chapter 16, from verse 6 to verse 10. This is a very interesting one. This is about Paul, Saul of Tarsus, now Paul, and his entourage. They had gone back to Galatia on their second missionary tour, and they had spoken to them, they had encouraged the churches and everything, and they were leaving. This was when Timothy followed Paul. From verse 6, it says, Now, when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Please, can somebody explain to me? Why would the Holy Spirit forbid the word to be preached in this? It may not have been time or it's not a territory mapped out for that group. Do you, do you understand? We just jump into everywhere. It's not your territory. Go, don't go there. Don't go to Asia. But we will say, Lord, there are souls in Asia. We must go and oh, yeah, go now. Go to Asia. Then we start raising money. You know, the work of God is... The way we do the work of God, it, it appears that God doesn't know what he's doing. I've used that example before. Do you know anybody, any one of you with children... Who will send your, who, your, your, your children have reached the age of going to nursery school? You tell them, oh yeah, go to school. They say, which school? Is there any school? Just as you're going, enter anyone. No bag, no books, nothing. You just tell a child. Deborah at three. I'm sure, have you seen how the kind of big bags they load these small, small children with? The bag is taller than the child. The child will be dragging, dragging the bag on the road. They say, oh, yeah, Debbie, go to school. Then Debbie will be walking around. When she hears smallness, she will enter one and say, yes, that's cool. Is that, is that how you do it? No. You go and look for the school for the child. The school may not even be the one near your house. It may be one school far away. You will carry that child either inside uh, your car or on top of a Okada or in a Kekenapep or carry the child on your shoulder and trek to the place and dump the child. Oh, yeah, go to school. Is that not what you do? What would you do if a child like Debbie, your child, comes at the age of three? And says, 
Papa and Mama, I, I, I want to discuss a very important issue with you. This school fees matter is very critical. I want to go and work so I can pay my fees. Please, what, what would you say to that child? But that's what you're all doing. You all do it to God. He said, God, relax, relax, relax. I know you have work to do, but <laughs> let me settle this matter first. When I settle it, I'll come and do your work. That's what we are doing to God. We have become a three-year-old telling our parents that we want to go and work for our school fees. You think your parent does not know that they have to pay your fees? Or, I think I've used that example before many years ago. You see a child of six or seven, your child, you come home. Your child is sitting down at the dining table, very pensive. Say, hmm. He said, hope nothing will say, Daddy, hmm. I've been thinking how I'm going to help you with my school fees. What would you do to that child? That's what we're doing to God. We're acting as if God doesn't know his responsibility. As if God doesn't know what to do. We know what to do. The Spirit of God said to them, No! I'm not preaching in Asia. Verse 7. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia. What happened? But the Spirit did not permit them. Let me ask a question. Are there no people in Bithynia? It wasn't shown to them. You remember when the Lord called Barnabas and so he said, Unto a work that I have called them to. That is not a work. Bithynia is not the work. Is somebody understand what I'm saying tonight? Verse 8. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to, Saul, to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia. Concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. By the way, when you read the accounts of this church of Macedonia, that was the church that Paul wrote and said, they sent me now and again things. That was the church that followed Paul throughout his ministry. We call it, that was when he wrote the letter to the Philippians. This is this church. And if you see how the church, we don't know what year we'll get there. That's why I'm, reading, I'm saying some of these things. When Paul got to Macedonia, he didn't know anybody. He didn't know anywhere. But the first part of call, he saw a woman, he saw some women gathering by a river to pray. Maybe they were women who believed that, uh, maybe they saw John the Baptist, I don't know, using water to baptize. So they said, we must pray by the water side. I don't know. So they went there among the women. In fact, do you know what will happen? They see you, a man, near women. What are you doing there? And a Jew for that matter. But they went and preached the word of God. And one of them, a, 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 a merchant, received the gospel and insisted, insisted that Paul and his party must stay in her house. When, when the Bible says she insisted, insisted meant that when she, when she broke the subject, Paul must have dismissed it. They would, don't worry, we'll take care of ourselves. It's not as if he had five-star hotel accommodation. I'm sure the accommodation the woman was offering was far better than where they were staying. But he said, no, no, madam, don't worry, don't worry. The woman insisted and grabbed them. Then they, they were going again. To the same place of prayer. When one girl started, after the, as, as they are going out, one girl will be following them. Mekuna come, the people where they carry the word of God don't arrive. Then don't come. Then don't come. Many of us would have said, you see, when you are doing the work of God, you don't need billboards. People will be announcing you, and our head will be swelling. It was a demon, no? It was a demon talk to gain authenticity. So that tomorrow when you go and talk, you remember I'm the one who pointed that that man is the man of God. So let me tell you what the word of God is saying. After some days, Paul was grieving the spirit. When you read the account, it was the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul. And he said, being filled with the Spirit, he's actually saying the Holy Spirit was the one speaking. He said, come out of you, foul spirit. And they fled. And the girl was normal. That was convert number two. When the people saw that they could not gain anything again from the girl, they could not profit from her, what did they do? They went and charged Paul 
the prison. They were beaten and sent, and they told the, the jailer that these are serious criminals. Make sure that they, they have no chance of escaping. So the man went and put them in a dungeon, in the bottom, bottom, bottom cell. Put them in stocks. Put their feet in stocks. Maybe they were sitting there, we don't know. But at night, as was their usual way, they were not swayed by the fact that they were in prison. So, oh, many of you do that. But what is, what is, what kind of church is this? Why am I going through this problem? Why am I facing this challenge? You won't pray. You won't talk to God. You won't read your Bible. You won't do anything. But what did Paul and Silas do? They prayed. They sang. The Holy Ghost. The Bible says they were singing so loud. Imagine somebody who is in lower level 7. Or let's not go that far. Maybe lower level 2 or 3. Below the ground. And people in upper level 2 are hearing their voice. And they locked them in a dungeon. So they were singing so loud that the thing got to everybody heard them praising God. Suddenly, what happened? The doors were opened. If we sang and prayed like Paul and Silas prayed in prison, after 30 minutes, what we will be checking? Have the chain come up? Have the door open? You know, that's, all, that's what we do. We are using praise and worship to get an advantage. It's not because we want to worship God. But they were praising God. Father, we thank you. We give you glory. For the salvation of that girl, we thank you. Lord, do not let that girl miss the path of eternity. We pray, Lord, that you will cause Lydia, what's that woman's name now? Is it Lydia? That you will cause Lydia to take that girl in and teach her the few things we have taught her. We have taught Lydia to teach this girl. Lord, now there are two. Uphold them. Build your church. Grow your church. Oh, mama, mama, mama. The hopeless was loud. Father, we praise you. We give you glory. Glory. No instruments. So they were singing. We can't sing without instruments. We can't sing in an, in, without air conditioner. We won't pray if there's no light. You say, oh, it's too, it's too hot. It's too hot. Meanwhile, we can sleep, but we won't pray. When, the, when, when they were doing all of that, the prison door flung open. Man. The jailer, seeing that the doors were open, wanted to kill himself. What would we have said? He said, hmm, God don't catch him today. So that's what we are saying. When they, they, they came and touched the anointed of God, they don't know anything. You allow the man to kill himself. And you say you're a Christian. You're, you're, a, you're a demon. He said, stop. None of us have left. We are alive. Do you know why they went to that dungeon? Because of that jailer. That jailer and his family made up the rest of the church of Philippians. Because that day, they took them out of prison. Hearing that they were Romans, they said, please, just go. He said, no, 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 no. Until the jailer begs us, said, don't worry, go. He went back to the house of Lydia and encouraged them. Please, you know where we are going. That we're leaving you behind. Make sure the things we taught you. You see, that's why it's important to teach the word of God. The things we have taught you, continue in it. Um, the jailer, I've given him your address. He's going to be joining you from time to time as he has opportunity. Teach him also. A church was born. They didn't need building. They didn't need contribution. Do you have a space to use? A church can be in your house. But we think we must build a cathedral before we have a church. Where did we get these notions from? As we go on, we are going to see what the church of God is. Praise the name of the Lord. It was the Holy Spirit that was directing them to go to where they were going to. The Lord knew the people he wanted to save in Macedonia before asking, him, asking them to go to Macedonia. But you know they had to go out every day. I hope you know that. They went every day until they saw Lydia. They went every day until they, 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 they cast out the demon from that girl. They continued to go until they were thrown into prison and they met the jailer. And finally they said, leave our country. So okay, no problem, I will leave. But the work had a seed. 
have been put in place. Many times you don't have the time to build a church. You don't have the time to see the, 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 the tree growing. But you have enough time to sow a seed. Sow the seed. That's the problem we have. We have. Men who don't understand what the Spirit of God is doing. So we, we get, man, I don't know. Me, I'm used to morning church. I don't understand this afternoon church. Hey, go to morning church now. Don't worry. Go. It doesn't, maybe you are not called to this work. But I tell you, tomorrow, some people will get wind of God and say, it's true, we need to do church in the evening. Then suddenly they will say, yes, yes, the church of God should be done in the evening. Then you, you run to those churches. You don't know, you don't understand when God is doing a new work. We are so used to the same way we've been doing things over and over again. God wants to bring us back to that time in the book of Acts. That is why we are going through what we are going through this time. Let's conclude. We have used the word connectivity to depict not only a medium as in the means of communication, but more importantly, the medium as in the person who does the communicating to the lost disciples and apostles after his resurrection. And also, the helper who is actively involved and engaged in the performance of the work of God. Our connectivity to Christ, the early apostles, and the original work of God is thus the Holy Spirit. Remember when we used the example of the link and the chain. And we said we have to take that, our own link, back to where, where, where the last link was. All this rope, we don't want to be joined to any rope. We must tie away those ropes and be attached to it. It is the Holy Spirit that is going to get us to the right link. If you are not using the Holy Spirit, you are going to be tied to a rope or a thread or to nothing. Any other connectivity is no connectivity at all. And will lead us to engaging in anything but the acts of the apostles. Dead works. The Holy Spirit has always been involved and engaged in the work of God, even from the beginning, and particularly in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ here on the earth, from start to finish. We've already told you that. From conception to resurrection and ascension, he was involved. The Holy Spirit was presented to the apostles by the Lord during the discourse that took place just after the Last Supper. The Lord told the apostles that he would come to them through the Holy Spirit, whom he referred to as another helper. The Holy Spirit is thus the link or connection or the connector between Christ and the church, especially those the Lord has sent to do the work of God. Pretty much the same way a head is linked to the body through the spinal cord. If you have spinal cord injury, one of two things will happen. Either you are dead or you become paraplegic, paralyzed. This spinal cord that we are all toying with, if anything breaks in the spinal cord, you are, you are, you are, you are, your head is separate from your body. So, the Holy Spirit is that link. Where you have no Holy Spirit, you have a head, you have a body that can't do anything on its own. You have a head that is talking, but the body is not responding. Because the body cannot do what the head is asking it to do. We have the church that claims that Christ is the head. But the church is not doing it. It's not, able, it's not doing anything that Christ asked it to do. Because he can't. The vital connector is missing. The Holy Spirit. That's the spinal cord that links the head, Christ the head of the church, with the body. It's the Holy Spirit. That allows the instruction that the head is given for the body to carry out. Hence, if we claim to be doing the work of God, which is what the act of the apostles is all about, it must not only be continuity of the work the Lord Jesus initiated, but it must also come by the Holy Spirit. Do you get that? There must be continuity through the appropriate connectivity. Otherwise, you are wasting your time. Indeed, there is nothing worthy of note that we can do without the Holy Spirit. We would all be on our own without the Holy Spirit. And nothing we offer by way of service and worship will be accepted by the Father. And we will not get anything right. What we would have 
will be a mess, even though some may believe that we are doing okay. Let us note that even though the disciples all gathered in one place and with one mind and purpose, it was not until the Holy Spirit came that that gathering was known as the church. Thus, in the absence of the Holy Spirit, we have anything but the church of God gathered. You have a cult, you have a club, you have so many other things, but it is not the church of God. Besides, the Holy Spirit is the one who helps us to pray as we ought to. He it is who appoints us to our field of service as he did Barnabas and Saul. And he is the one who directs us to where to go and who to go to as he did Philip and Paul and his companions. Indeed, all our communication with the Lord Jesus is through the Holy Spirit. But more importantly, because the Holy Spirit is the connectivity between us and heaven, and is actively involved and engaged in doing the work of God here on earth, we commonly refer to the Acts of the Apostles as the Acts of the Holy Spirit by the hands of the Apostles. And that is exactly what the work of God ought to be in our hands. The Acts of the Holy Spirit done by our hands. Praise the name of the Lord. It means if we wrought a miracle at all, who did the miracle? The Holy Spirit. We didn't do it. And we must recognize that. Because we are not giving appropriate regard of these things as we ought to. We are doing our own thing. May the Lord help us. Let's bow our heads to pray. I want you to talk to the Lord this evening. And say, Father, no matter what happens, my relationship with your spirit, let it be intact. Talk to the Lord. Talk to the Lord. Let my, spirit, my, my, my relationship with your spirit, Lord, let it be intact. Let it be a coherent one. Let me receive counsel from your spirit. Let me recognize that it is by your spirit that I am able to do the things that you want me to do. That without him I can do nothing. Without him all my efforts is in vain. Help me Lord. Help me Lord. I talk to the Lord Jesus. Allow the spirit of God to pray through you unto the Lord Jesus concerning you. Ask him to help you to arrive at the place that God wants for you. Ask him to help you not to ignore his leading, his directing, his prodding. He prods you you need to suspend your senses, as it were, to allow the Spirit of God to direct you and lead you accordingly to do His work. Not using our senses, setting criteria ourselves. Let's be open to Him. Let's be yielded to Him. He is, uh, he is another helper, our helper, our comforter, our counselor, our guide, our advocate, our guard. He is he's the director of our lives. Sincerely speaking, without Him, we are nothing. He is the sap that passes through the vine to you, the branch. Without him in our lives, our lives are empty. That's why we do a lot of work and yet no satisfaction. We are frustrated because the Holy Spirit is not the one doing it. We do so much and yet no joy because the Holy Spirit is not there. The Bible calls it the joy of the Holy Ghost. Joy in the Holy Ghost. Joy as a result of the Holy Ghost operating in you, operating through you. When that is not there, you will have sorrow and sadness. You can have the things of this world, but it will not bring you any joy. You will be dissatisfied with your station in life. Even if you are a CEO, you will be empty. That's why some people sometimes they feel that, I'm tired of this work, I don't want to do it again. It is because you have deviated away from the Spirit of God. If the Spirit of God was with you, you will be excited even doing that same job. Until the time that the Spirit of God will tell you directly, leave. You are not finding joy. Is because of this, because there's something between you and the Holy Spirit that is not right. Make it right, and you will see joy. You don't have joy 
because you have a church of two, two million. No, that doesn't bring joy. Joy is intrinsic. It's something that is in you by reason of the Spirit of God. It effectual and effective in your life and ministry. If the Holy Spirit was not involved, you think Christ would have been willing or able to even go to the, to the cross? He knew the Spirit of God would be there to see him through it. He was willing to make himself a sacrifice by the eternal Spirit. Or rather, through the eternal Spirit. But then you need to talk to God about your life. You are the church. And the way we are going about things, we are not allowing the Spirit of God to do his work. In us and through us. Holy Spirit, be my comforter. Holy Spirit, take control. As we're going along the way, the road is so narrow. Holy Spirit, lead me on. Holy Spirit, be my comforter, Holy Spirit, take control. As I'm along the way, it's getting down. Holy Spirit, come and lead me on. Holy Spirit.